Good evening. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be preaching God's Word to you. I pray that God would give us hearts that are attentive to His Word this evening. Uh, our world can be a very hard and a very disheartening a place to live. A pain, suffering, and injustice are all around us. It is everywhere that we look. A people are treated as people are, are treated as objects rather than as people created in the image of God with dignity and with worth. Uh, recently, I was sitting with a friend who, with, who had been robbed, and he was left with nothing, and he had no course of justice for the actions that had been done to him. Uh, most people in this world had no lasting hope. And often, people seek to just eat, drink, and be merry in an effort to turn a blind eye to the hardships that they see and that they experience themselves. And at the same time, people struggle with sadness because they have no way to make sense of what is going on in the world, and they see no way of escaping it. And in fact, if we're honest, a people really do not want to escape this sin-sick world. Uh, though the damaging effects of sin are very evident, the fact is that we love our sin. We are so quick to condemn the selfishness and the hatred in others, and yet we are so tolerant of our own hatred and of our own hardness of heart towards others. But God has spoken to us in his word. We have the scriptures. The Bible gives answers to the most difficult questions in life, like how did we get here? Why are things so bad? And is there any hope? The Bible tells us that though God created us in his image so that we could love and we could honor him, the first people, Adam and Eve, sinned and they brought death into this world. And because of their rejection of God, we are all born with hearts that love our sin more than we love God. The, the hardship, this sickness, and this injustice that we all experience, uh, this may not be a direct result of your personal sin, but it is certainly a result of a world that is enslaved by sin. And each one of us contributes to this. And this is why things are so bad. But the Bible not only tells us why things are so bad, it gives us hope. It gives us hope that things will not be like this forever. A God in his kindness tells us that he will finally bring it in to the sin and the suffering in this world. He will recreate this world and he will establish a new kingdom forever. Of those that reject his way of salvation in this life uh, will be sentenced to the kingdom of darkness forever. But those who come to God on his own terms, through faith and through repentance, God gives them the right to become children of God. And these people will inherit an eternal kingdom. And we can face the hardships of life and yet not be in despair, because the sovereign God is our loving Father. He is our protector, and he has told us 
the end of the story. Uh, the main idea of today's sermon is this. One day soon, the Lord will bring judgment on his enemies and an eternal kingdom for his children. One day soon, the Lord will bring judgment on his enemies and an eternal kingdom for his children. We are in the second week of the book of Obadiah. Uh, last week, we looked at verses 1 to 14, and this week we will be finishing the book. In, in verses 15 to 21, there's, there's three main things that are going on. Uh, verses 15 to 16 speak of the judgment that is coming for everyone, not just for the nation of Edom. And then verses 17 and 18 tell how God will execute his judgment and at the same time bring deliverance for his people. And then finally in verses 19 to 21, uh, those verses speak of God's plan to restore and to bring his people back to the promised land. So let's get into it now. Now, point one for, from verses 15 to 16, everyone will face judgment. Uh, if you missed last week, or maybe you forgot what's going on in the book of Obadiah, uh, let me take a minute and just bring you up to speed about where this story is and the storyline of Scripture, and, and uh, so we can be well connected with it. Uh, God chose the nation of Israel to bless the world, and God entered into a covenant relationship with his people. And he bounds himself to them, just like a husband and a wife are bound together in, uh, uh, in a covenant of marriage. And he gave them the terms of the covenant. Uh, his people were to live holy lives. They were to live different from the world. They were to obey his commands and they were to worship him as he had prescribed. But they broke their end of the covenant. Uh, they chose to gratify the desires of the flesh rather than to please God. They, they worshiped false gods and they rejected the rule of God in their life. And after much warning and calling to repentance, God brought discipline and judgment on his people. Uh, he allowed the nation of Babylon to come and to attack them and to destroy the capital city of Jerusalem. And Babylon captured the Israelites and he shipped most of them off to foreign lands. And during this time, there was another nation who were the brothers with Israel and they lived very close to Jerusalem. This was the nation of Edom. They, uh, they were descendants of Esau, who was Jacob's twin brother. And during the time when Jerusalem was being attacked by Babylon and many Israelites were being killed, the Edomites just stood there and they did nothing. They did not help their brothers. But, but even worse than that, they actually joined up with the nation of Babylon in their violence against the Jews. And this attack on Jerusalem that the Edomites just you know, did nothing about and actually even participated in, uh, this was not some civil or humane uh, exile. Uh, there was murder, there was starvation, there were terrible crimes. And it's at this point in the history of the Jews then that the book of Obadiah comes in. Obadiah, uh, Obadiah pronounces judgment on the Edomites for their oppression of God's people. And this would have been a reminder to God's people that had been set into exile that 
God does indeed see their suffering, and God does indeed care for them. He has not forgotten them. Uh, look at verse 15. In verse 15, it says, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. Uh, the day of the Lord, uh, this refers to the time of final judgment. And in the specific context here, the, the day of the Lord was when the nation of Edom would themselves be defeated and completely destroyed. And that event did eventually happen. But this phrase, the day of the Lord, also has a larger meaning. Uh, look at verse 15 again. Uh, notice it does not just say that the day of the Lord is near for Edom. No, uh, Obadiah says the day of the Lord is near for all nations. Though Obadiah prophesies specifically against Edom, he also broadens his warning of judgment to all nations. That is essentially to all humanity, which includes us today. This day of the Lord is indeed near for all. Uh, it's, it's the day when the time to repent has run out. It's that day when we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account for our lives. It's a day when all wrongs will be repaid. This means, friends, that we should heed the warning to the nation of Edom as if we were the Edomites. Uh, the Bible is not simply a history book with no implications for our lives. It is the living word of God that we should listen to. So let's look at the second half of verse 15. It says, As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Uh, God is just, and he does not just turn a blind eye to our sin. Uh, everything we do, every thought that we have, everything that we do, it, it is done in the sight of God. And we will have to give an answer to God one day for our thoughts and our actions. Uh, they are all recorded. And notice from verse 15 that the judgment is fair. It says, as, as you have done, so it will be done to you. Uh, no person will be punished by God more than what they deserve. I, I know that as many people see the teaching in the Bible about the eternal judgment of God in hell on sinners, it's easy to accuse God of being unjust. But we should not be so quick to put ourselves as the judge over God. A God is sovereign and his ways are right. So, and instead, seeing the descriptions of hell in the Bible should cause us to be awakened to the severity of our sin against God. For God repays justly and fairly according to what we have done. Uh, now let's look at verse 16. It says, Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. Uh, when... When it says, just as you drank on my holy hill, uh, this is a poetic way of referring to the time that the nation of Edom drank in celebration and in happiness at the downfall 
of God's people. And they did it there in Jerusalem, which is referred to as, as God's holy hill. So this verse is saying that because they rejoiced at their evil deeds against God's people, that they themselves would then drink from the cup of God's wrath. Uh, friends, uh, we should be wary of celebrating and rejoicing in evil as if it were good. A culture delights in and it celebrates forms of entertainment that fills our minds with lust and turns people into objects. Uh, the world celebrates the freedom to kill unborn babies as a mark of advancement in society. Uh, the world celebrates freedom for people to do whatever they want as the true freedom, rather than accepting God's design and limits as good guards for us and for the benefit of society. Uh, friends, we must guard ourselves from calling evil good. Are there ways that you rejoice at evil? Are there kinds of jokes that you used to be offended at that now you just laugh at? Are, are, are there things that you watch that used to cause the sting of conviction by your conscience that now you just uh, watch and you smile at? Uh, friends, be wary of calling evil good because the day of the Lord is near for all and God will not let the wicked go unpunished. Uh, now, let's, now let's look at point two. Point two comes from verses 17 and 18. God's people will be rescued. Look again at verses 17 and 18. It says, But on Mount Zion will be deliverance, it will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be a stubble, and they will set him on fire to destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. So this comes at a time after Edom has oppressed God's people. And this reminds God's people that God has not, forgot, that God has not forgotten their suffering. A through, so though the oppression of Israel was used by God for their refinement, though it was meant to bring them back to himself, that did not, that, that did not excuse the evilness of the oppressors. Uh, remember, to the original reader, uh, this situation of God's people uh, was a terrible situation. Jerusalem was destroyed, and they had been sent to live in foreign countries. But in verse 17, God promises that Mount Zion would again be holy. Uh, Mount Zion was another name that was used for the city of Jerusalem, where God dwelled among his people. And God promises in verse 17 that Jacob, that is the tribe of Judah in the nation of Israel, uh, would, would again possess Jerusalem as their own city. And then verse 18 teaches that the conquering of Edom and deliverance of Judah would actually come through God's people, the very ones that were being oppressed. And in verse 18, uh, the, the name Jacob represents the, the southern kingdom of Judah, 
And then Joseph represents the northern kingdom of Israel. So by using both names, God is promising that there will be a reunification of the divided Israel. So to the original reader, all this would seem impossible. Uh, Imagine if you were in exile, you had just had your home destroyed, you are living in a foreign land, Uh, your own people had been defined by civil war. Deliverance would seem impossible. But to those readers that believed God's promises, uh, it would have inspired hope. It would have renewed belief that God indeed was a covenant-keeping God, and he had not forgotten his covenant promises. Uh, God was saying that he would fulfill his promise to deliver his people, even though they had been unfaithful. You see, though, though God's choosing of Israel and establishing, uh, and, and, and establishing covenants with him, in that act of choosing them, God had tied his identity and his honor to his people, to that nation. While, while blessing and curses were certainly tied to the obedience of the people, uh, the promise to bring salvation through that nation and, 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 and for God's people, this was tied to God's faithfulness, not to theirs. Uh, Moses understood this when he pleaded with God back in Exodus chapter 32, verse 13. Moses pleaded with God to have mercy on the people after they had built and worshipped a golden calf in place of God. Moses prays and he pleads with God to not destroy his people. And he calls on God to remember his promises. Uh, Moses said to God, this is uh, Exodus 32:13. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Notice that Moses calls God to remember the promises that he had made to his people, even though God's people had been unfaithful to God. Moses calls on God to fulfill his covenant promises. Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, if you are in Christ and you are struggling to see the hope of deliverance from sin, I encourage you to to look to Christ. Remember that he is faithful. Uh, Maybe you have sought for peace among believers and yet there is still division. Uh, maybe you are seeking to grow in kindness, but your words at times are still harsh and rude. Maybe you are still facing consequences of sin in the past, and you wonder, will you be delivered? And doesn't seem like for you that deliverance is impossible. Remember that Christ has bound himself to you in covenant loves. Of uh, remember. That Christ is a promise-keeping God. Uh, remember that he has promised in Hebrews 13:5 to never leave you nor forsake you. 
remember that he has promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, to not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He promises to provide a way out of temptation. And remember the promise in John 10, 28, that he will not let his children be snatched out of his hand. And I encourage you to remember the gospel. Remember that he came to save you when you were dead in your sin, uh, not when you were seeking him. It's, it's his grace and kindness that brought him to you. And it is his grace and his kindness that will keep you in him. The, the blessing of forgiveness and righteousness was completely paid for by God in Christ. Christ paid the penalty of our sin on the cross, and he defeated death for it. He gave his children a new heart to submit to him. So as blood-bought children of God, the honor of God's name is tied to us as his people. Now, this does not mean that churches will never go astray. But it does mean that God will always preserve a remnant. He will, according to his faithfulness, ensure that there are always churches that faithfully proclaim and reflect the glory, the, the glory of Christ in the world. So praise God for his faithfulness to you, even when you are unfaithful. If you're a non-believer, uh, know that we are so glad that you are here today. And as you consider the call of Jesus to turn from your sin and to trust in him for eternal life, I know that it may seem impossible to you. Because Jesus' call to salvation is a call to leave behind a life of sin. It's a call to put Christ above your family. Uh, it's, it's, it's a call to be willing to identify as a follower of Christ, even though it may mean being rejected in society. And according to your strength, uh, these things are impossible. But there is power in Christ to be saved. Uh, God fulfilled his promises to bring deliverance from sin and death. God became a man in Christ Jesus to perfectly obey God because we could not. And though he did not deserve death, Jesus willingly gained his life in place of us. He died the death of a criminal. And on Mount Zion, on a hill in the city of Jerusalem, Jesus hung on that cross and died. And the enemies of Jesus thought that through killing him, they would put his ideas and his plan to death. But in fact, it was the opposite. They were being used by God to bring about deliverance for all nations. Jesus was dying in the place of sinners. He was taking the punishment of sin that we deserve on himself. And because he was God, he was perfect. And he... and. So the, the judgment that he took on himself, it did not condemn him to eternal death. He rose from the grave, proving that he indeed was the righteous son of God, proving that he indeed does have the authority to forgive sin. And Jesus reigns today, and he is the promise-keeping God. Jesus is ready and willing to save all those that come to him.
So friends, uh, the call to trust in Jesus as Savior, it is not a call to clean yourself first and then come to him. Uh, it is not a call uh, for, for you to try to make yourself better. It is a call for you to receive the cleansing power of Christ through his blood. It is a call to receive the life-transforming power of his Spirit. To be saved is a miracle of God. God opens our hearts. He comes in and lives in us to change us. So friends, I encourage you to look to Christ and his strength to be saved. And if you trust in Lord, if, if you trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, that he will not fail to bring you to heaven. So remember that the day of the Lord is near and there is no other way of salvation outside of Christ. Uh, today, if you are hearing my voice and you're not a believer, there is still time to repent. Uh, please talk with a member of this church after the service today or uh, go to dinner in, in one of the home groups after this, and we'd be happy to talk with you more about what it means to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. And so we've seen from point one that everyone will face judgment. From point two, that God's people will be rescued. Now let's look at point three. From verses 19 to 21, the hope of the Lord's kingdom. Uh, if you look at verses 19 and 20, uh, these verses speak about the result of the deliverance of the Lord. And there's a lot of places and there's a lot of people and names that are mentioned there. These people are going back to that place and uh, lots of names there. Uh, let me briefly explain the significance of these names and what's going on here. God promised Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 to 8, that he would give his descendants the whole land of Canaan as an everlasting possession for his people. And this land was to be the place that his people were to live with him in peace. It was a setting of light for God's people to live under God's rule. And in the book of Joshua, Joshua led the people to occupy that land and to live in it. And for the most part, they did occupy it, but they didn't completely finish the task. And they fell into sin. And though they physically lived in the promised land, they did not have that peace with God because they were not obedient to the Lord. Uh, it was because of their disobedience that eventually led them to be conquered and exiled. And these verses in Obadiah say that God's people that, who have been in exile will again return to that land. So these prophecies, uh, sorry, these, uh, these, these, these places listed here in Obadiah that, that they will reoccupy, this is that original place of the promised land that they were promised back in Genesis 17 and that Joshua had led the people to partially occupy. And now Obadiah is saying they're going to part, they, they will go back. But these prophecies are much more than just geographical information. It is a prophecy that they would again live in peace with God under God's rule and reign. And there is a partial fulfillment of this that happens in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
up under, uh, under the Persian king Cyrus, the Jews were allowed to return to their land and to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. However, the return of the exiles under King Cyrus, it did not result in that kingdom that the prophets anticipated. The end of Nehemiah tells us of the covenant failings of the people in their newly rebuilt Jerusalem. So even though they came back and they lived in that land, the people rejected God's rule in their lives. Uh, these people needed new hearts. They needed the spirit in them to work and to bring about obedience from the heart. They needed a perfect king to freedom from the penalty of sin. They needed a savior and they needed Christ. And Jesus came, Jesus is that perfect king. Jesus inaugurated and he, and he ushered in the kingdom of the Lord. Jesus broke the power of sin and death, and he secured those covenant obligations that they had failed to keep. He secured it in his perfect obedience and in his death and his resurrection. But that brings us to the question of how is this covenant promise of Genesis 17, stick with me here, guys. Uh, how is the covenant promise in Genesis 17 about the land ultimately fulfilled because this is the part of the covenant promise that is in view here at the end of Obadiah. Well, it is ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. The passage that Pastor Joseph read for us earlier out of 2 Peter 3, it, it, it points to this. After the day of the Lord, God will establish a new earth where Christ Will, will rule his people in perfect peace. Uh, we often think as heaven, as this uh, place in the clouds where spirits are floating around, uh, but we will have resurrected bodies. We will live on a renewed earth under the rule of Christ. We will perfectly reflect and bear his image. We will have new bodies that never perish, spoil, or fade. And we will dwell in the city of God. We will have a promised land. Uh, brothers and sisters, this is the eternal hope that is held out for us. And that hope is secure in Christ. So though we suffer in this world, though governments do evil, there is a limit to their reign. Uh, even their evil actions are limited by the sovereign God of the universe. And God will see to it that the pressures and the persecutions in this world will never break the faith of his children. Because God has bound himself to us in that covenant love. God is that promise-keeping God. Because Christ has risen from the dead, we can stand secure on the hope of inheriting the eternal promised land. Church family, it is true that in this world, we will certainly uh, be crushed. There will times that we will be confused. We will be frustrated at the hardships and at the pains of life. There will be times where the demands of children, uh, the longing for companionship, uh, the separation from family, 
or maybe the busyness of life. These things will press you to a breaking point. But because of the hope that we have of an eternal kingdom, your obedience to God in those times of hardship are not insignificant. For our obedience now lays up treasures in the life to come for the glory of Christ. So brothers and sisters, also consider then that this unity together, when we gather each week as a church family under the Lordship of Christ, it is a weekly reminder that we will gather one day in a perfect land under the rule of Christ. So keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Press on for the glory of God. And remember our main point today. Now one day soon, the Lord will bring judgment on his enemies and an eternal kingdom for his children. Amen? And then let's pray. Our Father, we praise you that you are a covenant-keeping God. Lord, we praise you that the, uh, Lord, the conditions of the covenant have been perfectly fulfilled in Christ. Thank you for your kindness in giving us, Lord, physical pictures to remind us of your, Lord, of your salvation. Lord, we praise you and thank you that we have the opportunity to gather each week, Lord, to remind ourselves that you will indeed bring us home under your perfect rule and rent. Lord, give us eyes that, uh, Lord, that can see with eyes of faith the eternal reality of a new earth and a new heaven where we will live with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.